today we've got a special treat. This summer we're doing our summer mixtape series. And we're just hitting you with different things every week. But we have some really good friends of ours. They keep getting to be better and better friends too all the time. Who are here with us. They are based in Israel. But Michael is actually originally from Toronto. And so he originally grew up in Toronto, went to Evangel Temple. If some of you know where I connect with Evangel Temple. They now oversee a ministry called Firm, which is in Israel. And they're here today. We're going to do more of an interview format. Pastor Sharon, we've actually been trying to get them in for several years now. So we've been working really hard to get them in. But just COVID stuff and everything else kept messing up schedules and opportunities to come and all that stuff. So we're really excited to have them here with us today. And so before we welcome them to the stage, I just want you to check out this video, which will give you a little bit more idea of Firm and what they're all about. When Jesus came and walked these streets, he invited you into the story. This story is bigger than politics, it's bigger than church differences, and it's bigger than us. It encompasses eternity, past, present, and future. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the message of hope that was reserved for the chosen people has now been extended to all people. So many of us have dedicated our lives to this message. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The good news went around the globe, and now it's time to bring it back to where it all began. Local ministries here have been doing effective work for decades, but globally, not many people know about it. Meanwhile, Christians are looking for ways to support Israel, but don't know where to start or who they can trust. This is why we exist. We want to bridge the gap. The Fellowship of Israel-Related Ministries is a nonprofit based in the heart of Jerusalem. We connect believers around the world to Israel in a gospel-centered way while strengthening and uniting local ministries here in the land. Through media, resources, tours, conferences, and more, we create on-ramps for believers globally to encounter the heart of God for Israel, connect them to trusted local ministries, and engage the next generation to join the story. Millions of Christians visit annually, but few ever meet a local believer. We are changing that. We seek to build up the local body by serving over 60 ministries who are reaching the lost, meeting needs, and proclaiming the hope that can only be found through the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. We exist to strengthen and unite these ministries through relationships, practical training, and financial resources. One day, Israel will be transformed by the love of Jesus. Paul declared, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We wanna see a generation of believers that lift up the arms of the Israeli body as we impact his people and transform our nation. The story continues, and you're invited to discover your part. So, so why don't you guys you already do it, join me in giving a great welcome to Michael and Vanessa. Awesome. So we are here for round two. We had some great conversations in round one in first service, so we want to have round two. So part of 
part of our heart. I mean, these guys are both great communicators and great speakers, so we could have got them just to speak and share. But I said, you know, I really wanted to do more of an interview format because we want you kind of, we've gotten to know you, want the church family to get to know you a little better, get to know the story of Firm and all that God has done. And then just we're going to have some great conversation uh, just around that piece. So I guess first off, maybe just hello, good afternoon again. You guys just want to take a moment and just kind of share a little bit of your story. You know, I mentioned you, you grew up in Toronto, so maybe Michael, if you want to start, just share kind of a little bit of your story, where you started, and how God brought you here. Well, we're so grateful and honored to be here, and Pastor Brendan wasn't joking, it's been several years now that we've been trying to get back in the country and being able to be here, and so uh, thank you for having us. It's, it really is like coming home for me, like uh, Pastor Brendan shared, I grew up here in Toronto, uh, attending Evangel Temple, and loved the Lord, and was passionate about the Lord, on fire for missions. And uh, had a very interesting journey to get to Israel. In fact, I, uh, I thought I was going to go into the business world. In fact, I did. I started a company as a teenager. Uh, ended up moving uh, to America. I was part of a ministry there. But just kind of running the company, thinking I was called to send money to the missions field. And uh, one, one day I was just on a 10-day fast. I felt like the Lord asked me to go on a 10-day fast. And I was just seeking God. I said, God, is there, is there more that you want me to do with my life? Like, what, what have you called me to? And uh, I happened to be in Los Angeles. And I felt like the Lord uh, woke me up in the middle of the night saying, I want you to get on a bus tomorrow morning. There's something that's going to happen on this bus ride that you go on. Something's going to happen that's going to change the course of your life. So I, I was 17. I didn't know what to expect. I woke up in the morning. I got on a bus. I headed to the LAX airport, and nothing happened. And I thought I had just misheard the Lord. And I'm on my way back talking to the bus driver thinking, I guess I lost a couple hours of sleep. And, and, and a car cuts the bus off right before our exit on the highway. The bus driver yells out, oh, that's not very kosher. Then he looks at me, and he says, do you know what the word kosher means? And I was 17, and I thought I knew everything. So I said yes. And he asked me, well, what does it mean? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> something, something Jewish to do with food, kosher pickles, kosher salt. Uh, so then he looks at me and says, in high school, did you ever study British history? And I said, yes. And he asked why. And I said, well, I'm Canadian. And so we study where we come from and how we got to where we are today. So then he looks at me and says, then why, if you claim to be a Christian, have you never studied the Jewish background of where you come from? And I didn't have a good answer. At that very moment, our bus pulled up at my stop. I get off. He drives away. I'm on the side of the street thinking, God, was that this thing that's supposed to change my life? And I end up going to a room alone and just start to pray. And the Lord led me to Isaiah 60, 61, and 62. I didn't, didn't even really understand what I was reading, all these chapters, all about Israel. And I just started to weep. And I heard the Lord speak to me as clear as day, Michael, you're going to spend the rest of your life living and doing ministry in Jerusalem, in Israel. That was not uh, good news to me in that moment. I, 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 I had no heart for Israel, no desire to go to Israel. I said, God, Israel, that's, I, I don't, I'm not an Israel-loving Christian. That's not who I am. Uh, I said, God, send me anywhere else. Send me to Africa. Send me, send me. But, but Israel, it didn't, it didn't register on my radar. But I said, God, if this is you, I'm willing. But you have to change my heart. You have to make this happen. I, I, I'll go, but you've got to make it happen. And that started a journey in my heart, I ended up selling the company, took a trip out to Israel, backpacked across the country, and met someone. And when he heard my story, he said, we can offer you a job and a visa. I thought, this is amazing. This is God. Now, the visa, he didn't have the authority to offer. The job was raise your own support. So uh, how many of those kind of jobs? Um, 
Uh, but still, I sold everything I owned, bought a one-way ticket, moved out to Israel. God really transplanted me to Israel. And that was the beginning of uh, everything we started to do, the ministry there. A very different story than Vanessa. I'll let you tell her, I'll yeah. let her tell her story as well. Yeah, so I grew up in Florida. I was actually telling Pastor Brendan earlier, I'm loving the weather here right now because usually we visit Michael and his family uh, in the winter. And I'm not a snow, I don't do snow, so it's been so nice to be here in the summer. Uh, but growing up in Florida, I grew up Jewish. Uh, my dad actually grew up Jewish. My mom grew up Catholic. So my sister and I kind of grew up a little bit of both, a mixture of both, a bit confused at times. Um, but when I was seven years old, I actually got really sick, and I was in the hospital for a little while. And uh, they thought I had spinal meningitis, and they told my mom that there was nothing they could do for me. Um, and she just, she knew that there was a God. She might not have been walking with the Lord, but she believed there was a God and she prayed and asked the Lord to spare my life. And in an hour, within an hour of that prayer, I completely turned around and was fine. And the doctors knew that, you know, they said that they didn't do anything. And, you know, my mom knew it was the Lord and that I was a miracle. And, uh, so she started taking my sister and I to church and, uh, but my dad didn't want to go. And, you know, being Jewish, my dad was taught, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but don't believe in Jesus. That's for the Christians. And so that's kind of the mindset and that he had going into it. So he, you know, oh, it's totally fine, you know, to my mother if you want to, but I'm not going to. So my mom actually found a Messianic synagogue in the newspaper, and it was about a mile away from our house. And so we all started going. My dad liked it because he was Jewish. My mom liked it because they loved Jesus. And, you know, my sister and I, you know, enjoyed it, went along for the ride. And a year later, my dad actually accepted Jesus in his heart as a savior. So it's an incredible testimony that I come from. And um, so I was raised in Florida with that. And when I was in college, I went to a Bible college actually in Florida. And I got this invitation to go study abroad in Israel. And uh, there was this, this uh, leader from the college there. And he said, hey, you should come study at our, at our university. And I was like, I'm good. I have an incredible university that I'm going to, and I love it, and thanks, but no thanks. And he was, well, you should pray about it. I was like, no, I'm really good. <laughs> and six months later, I don't know how the Lord made it work, but I landed my first time in Israel, and I went and studied abroad there, and it just started my journey um, and completely changed my life. Awesome. So now how about the two of you? Because everybody loves to hear the story. So you end up in Israel, you end up in Israel. How did the very two of you, time. yeah, very different. How did you guys end up getting together, get connected? Tell us a bit of your story. We have different definitions of what it means to obey the Lord. So when I was called to Israel, I just jumped on the plane and went. And you were a little I more. I'm a process you, you, person. A process okay, person. One step at a time. What do we say? Delayed obedience. In, uh, yeah, yeah. No, so for Vanessa, it was a little bit more of a journey. Yeah, so I was in and out of Israel, but I genuinely, like, the Lord brought me back every single time. I ended up getting my citizenship there um, after a while. But every season there was a stepping stone for me to be able to call it home one day. And so I met Vanessa. Um, I, I moved to Israel, raised my own support, started working for a church in Jerusalem, started by some Canadian uh uh, pastors, Wayne and Ann Hillsden, they left Canada 40 years ago and started a church in Jerusalem called King of Kings. And uh, I served there as the media director and very quickly God knit uh, my heart together with the pastor, Pastor Wayne and Ann, and we started this ministry called Firm. And as we were launching Firm, uh, we launched at a conference in Colorado and Vanessa was working for one of our board members at the time. She was invited to the conference. We met. It was love at first sight. 
I decided, man, I could either marry her, I could either marry her or hire her, and I decided, you know, let's just do both. So. Uh, it was funny because I had known Pastor Wayne for my time in Israel, and he came and he goes, hey, you would really love what we're doing with Firm. It's this new ministry we're starting, and you should come. And he kind of looked at me and he goes, and you should meet my colleague, Michael. And I said, oh, okay. And, and you know, and at first I'm thinking, because Wayne, Pastor Wayne was older, so I'm like, I'm thinking they want money from the ministry that I'm working from, or, you know, something like that. But She uh, wasn't expecting someone so young and handsome. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't. No, so so it, 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 it took a little while to woo her, but she ended up moving back to Israel. And, and now, you know, we got married in Israel. Both Again, of our, I'm a process person. You know, it takes me a while. <laughs> both of our sons, we have two sons that are here with us today, Azariah and Hananiah, and they were born in Jerusalem. And we're both citizens there. So I'm Canadian-Israeli, she's American-Israeli. And that's our home, uh, right in Jerusalem. Awesome. And you got, you, got, you got to tell the story like you did first, the roadblock. So what was the big roadblock you had to... <laughs> So I thought we really hit it off in the first conversation. And then the guy who kind of introduced us, who was my wingman, uh, let the cat out of the bag that I'm nine years younger than Vanessa. And so the sparks they were flying were suddenly extinguished. They, they suddenly went out. But it was funny because I was like, oh, great. Yeah, not an option for me. It was just this moment of switch. But six months later, my pastor just asked me, he said, give me one reason why you're not interested other than his age. And I couldn't give him one, which I'm very grateful that I reconsidered. And so, yeah, we're about to celebrate seven years next week. So... so so I like how you said, I either got to marry or hire her, so I'll do both. So she got involved in Firm. So why don't you tell us, I mean, we saw the video, but tell us a little bit more about Firm. Uh, just what is this ministry about? What does it look like? Just share, share a little bit more about it. Yeah, so our vision and our heart at Firm is we want to see a day where every person in Israel is transformed by the love of Jesus. That's our passion. That's why we do what we do. And we get the privilege of serving over 70 ministries that are in Israel all throughout the land that are doing a various types of work. So you have congregations, you have youth ministries, you have people helping women off the street, drug addiction. There's so many immigrants that came from all over the world. And so there's a lot of people in need in Israel. And so we serve 70 different ministries who are really on the ground, on the front line, serving and helping the needy, the widows and the orphans. And so we come underneath them and we want to strengthen, unite, and resource them? How can we help them in the call that they have in their life to advance the gospel and advance the kingdom? And I think what's, what's crazy is, imagine, Israel is the place Jesus came, he did his ministry. He said, I'm called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's where he did his work. That's where he did the miracles. And would it, would it surprise you today to realize, you know, 2,000 years after Jesus, less than a quarter of 1% of our population in Israel follows Jesus. That's a quarter of 1%. I mean, this is the place Jesus died, he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. This is the place where from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and yet so many are so unreached in Israel. And so we, we want to make it easy for Christians that want to get involved in Israel in a gospel-centered way to lift up the arms of the local body, Jewish believers in Jesus, Christian Arabs, to see that there's something special God's doing there today. You know, we, we, we say as a ministry, we really believe God's doing a miracle in Israel. And just if I can share on one chapter of the Bible that means a lot to me, it's Ezekiel chapter 36. You know, I, I, I used to struggle with this idea that God had a chosen people. I mean... I, I think we like, all of us like when we're chosen. All of us like when we do the choosing. But when someone else is chosen and when someone else is doing the choosing, that's when it gets a little bit sticky, you know? 
Like, why did they choose those people? Or why was he chosen or she chosen instead of me? And God said, I chose Israel for a purpose. He says, Abram, a- Abraham, I'm choosing you so that all the families, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through you. From the very beginning, God chose a man because he wanted to reach all people from every tongue, tribe, people, language. But there was a unique calling and a unique role. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, we see God says, Oh, Israel, it's not for your sake that I'm about to act. He says, Israel, I'm about to do something in you that's not for you. It's not because of you. He says, it's for the sake of my holy name. It's my name, my reputation. I'm a covenant-keeping God, and I'm going to do something in you that says something about me. He says, it's so that the nations would know that I am the Lord. And that's what's important for us to have that context when we ask ourselves, why did God choose Israel? Why, Why did he work through this people? He's doing something, and it's declaring who he is to the nations. And what does he say? He says, I'm going to take you from all the nations where I scattered you, from the north and the south and the east and the west. I'm going to bring you back into your land. And then I'm going to pour clean water on you, and you'll be cleansed. And I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit inside of you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. I mean, uh, uh, friends, we, we're, we're living in a day where we're seeing that happen. In the last 75 years, since Israel miraculously became a nation again, we've seen millions of Jewish people come from the north, the south, the east, and the west back to the land of Israel. But not only that, we've seen when they're back in the land of Israel, God taking up the heart of stone, giving a heart of flesh. We're seeing a spiritual revival, a physical restoration followed by a spiritual restoration, and we're seeing that happen today. Uh, when Israel became a nation 75 years ago, we had 23 Jewish believers in Jesus, just a couple families. And today we have almost 40,000 Jewish believers in Jesus. Still, we're the fraction of 1% of our body. We're a small remnant, but we, we believe God is doing a miracle in Israel today that he's promised that there's coming a day where all of Israel will be saved. And how many know it's great to have an organization mission statement based off a promise of the Bible. It's always, it's always a great way to design your life, to have promises from the Bible uh, that fuel your mission. And, and we're, we just love that. That's what we get to give our lives to with Firm. That's awesome. So, yeah, so just to, what I love about Firm, so you said there's like 70 ministries. And, and they do all kinds of different things. And then you guys kind of connect with them. Because most of them would never be able to get an international profile. So it's almost like you guys are a connection point for them to people from all around the world where there can be support and funding and encouragement. Now, one thing you mentioned is that, that, that uh, always really impressed me right from the beginning when I started to learn what you guys were doing. You talked about the importance of your mission being gospel-centered. Can you break that down a little bit more and just explain what do you mean by that when you're talking about gospel-centered ministries? Yeah, I think it's so important when we talk about Israel. All of us have a different picture that comes in our head. So uh, for a lot of us, when we talk about Israel, the very political images come to mind. Uh, political support for Israel, uh, military support for Israel. When we hear about Israel in the news, usually it's some sort of political uh, conflict of some kind. So there's a side of the church that very much is about politically getting involved in Israel. And then there's another side when I'm talking about Israel and Jewish people and Jewish things that overly romanticizes Jewish stuff or Jewish people or would say, oh, well, Israel can do no wrong and Jewish people can do no wrong. It's a little bit fringe, a little strange. It's kind of like, well, that, that seems a little bit far out there. And so we just believe 
it, we don't have to be engage in Israel politically. We don't have to engage kind of in a weird way. We, we can engage in a trusted, safe, gospel-centered way with Jesus at the center saying, how do we reach every person in Israel, the, the Israelis and the Palestinians? God loves both sides, and he's the prince of peace. And the only way we're going to make sense of the conflict is through Jesus. And so how do we help Christians that want to get involved that way to make it easy to do that? And we work both with the Jewish community and the Arab Christians. So we really, uh, for us, it's about our, of saying, hey, the gospel is what can bring us together. That is what can unite us and bring us um, to, to becoming one community. And so it, there's so much separation and there's so much conflict. But like Michael said, if we actually focus on what we have in common as Jewish believers in Jesus and as Arab Christians, then we can really advance the gospel together. Yeah, I love that too, because I think in, again, connecting with you guys and seeing some of the different issues connect with, I love that work of unity and bringing people together. I mean, one of the first things I'd heard about that just spoke to me so much would be where Arab Christian pastors and Messianic pastors come together for retreats to bless each other and pray each other. There's a youth conference I've ever seen where young people from are coming together. And, and I, I remember seeing a, a worship team and houses of prayer. Do you want to talk a little bit more just about what you're seeing God do in bringing people together? Yeah, I think from the beginning that this was a this is a, a prayer of ours. You know, we, we hear Jesus, the last prayer we have in the, in the scriptures that he gave before his crucifixion, John chapter 17, he says, Father, uh, my heart's desire and prayer is that they may be one as you and I are one, that the world would know that they belong to me. So our, our unity is actually the, what validates our faith in Jesus. That, that's, our unity does that. So as we set out on this mission, and really this is, stems from the heart of Pastor Wayne and Ann Hillsden, our, our co-founders, uh, how do we bring together the body? You know, we can say we want to see every person in Israel transform, but if we're really a quarter of 1%, we can't do that alone. We got, we, got, we, we got to work together. And so by just gathering and starting to pray for one another, hear what's working in your community, what's working in my community, people start realizing, wow, we have the same challenges and you start seeing each other not as competitors, but as partners, as brothers and sisters. And what we're seeing now is going from very relational unity to what we're saying is collaborative unity. So now how can we actually work together to reach more kids, youth, and young adults? How can we work together to impact the nation? How can we work together to move the needle on sex trafficking or homelessness in Israel? We're not going to solve it independently. These are two things that are too large for any one church or any one ministry to do on our own. But together, what can God do? if we come together. No, that's awesome. Any other thoughts to add, Vanessa? I'll jump to the well, next. Well, I just, I mean, you totally threw out the, there's, you know, the sex trafficking and the homelessness. I mean, people think about Israel and they think this like holy place or it's also could potentially just be out in the middle of nowhere in the desert and nobody really is there. But it is a, you know, booming city in Tel Aviv and there are a lot of hurting people who really need the love of Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's one of those dichotomies really where that is where the gospel came for, but that from, but that is also where the people need the gospel the most. Like there are so many broken and hurting people all across Israel who are just searching and who are in need, the religious who are so devoted, but are just so close, but missing it. And, you know, and then the secular who really just are, you know, they don't care. And so there, there's the reality of Israel is not as holy as you may think it might be. And there, the need of the gospel and the, the life of Jesus to come alive inside of them is, is huge. 
That's awesome. Um, 70 ministries, and I'm sure you guys are always kind of connecting with more and growing. Uh, maybe give us an example of a couple ministries that you particularly love or that you think are doing something really innovative or interesting in that. Yeah, so, you know, to give an idea of some of the collaboration, you know, we were talking about uh, sex trafficking. In, in Israel, Israel is one of the uh, hubs of sex trafficking, because you can imagine just kind of from Egypt to the greater Middle East, that's one of these main corridors between the two, between the greater Middle East. We have 14,000 uh, sex workers in Tel Aviv, and amazingly, one of our local partners really advocates in the government. Uh, just a few years ago, four years ago, they made prostitution illegal for the purchaser of sex uh, services, which is amazing. It's a huge victory. But now there's the ramifications that you have uh, women and men who've been trapped in this cycle. How do they get out? So we have three different ministries that work together collaboratively. One that's really serving women on the street, loving them, doing their hair, their makeup, giving them a place to sleep and feeding them and just loving on them until they have the strength and the energy to come out of the industry say, I want to I go into rehab and then on the other side of rehab, we have another partner that started a home, a women's shelter, where the women can come for two years. And every single woman who's coming to the shelter, they receive 24-7 care. They're loved on by believers. Every single woman so far who's come to the shelter within six months has given their lives to the Lord. And then they're trained. They're trained in practical skills and employment skills, marketable skills. And then a, a third partner of ours actually takes these women that are coming out of the industry with these skills, gives them a job, employs them. They're upcycling uh, uh, windsurfing kites into bags. And so they're, they're helping women recy you know, recycle and produce and sew these, these bags, giving a second chance for these kites and for the women. And it's this, this is a picture of these ministries working together, all in partnership with the local church, to see really life transformation from, from the streets to someone fully employed and, and out of the industry. That's awesome. Vanessa, maybe one. And I just want to add that there, I mean, these ministries encourage us all the time with the reality of what God's doing in and through them. And they're independent organizations that we get the privilege of coming alongside and really helping to advance, you know, what God has called them to do. So, you know, it's just it, the opportunity that we get to, with the diversity of, of ways of ministering to people um, across the board is just, it's a huge privilege because there's so many different people in need, and God reaches us all differently, you know, so we all have a story for a reason, and God reaches us all differently, so just be able to come in, we vet each and every one of the ministries, they go through an application process, because if we want you to trust them, we have to know that we're going to trust them as well, and so we walk them through some of the hard moments, but also really, we can say, hey, we know that you know, God is doing something in you. We trust you and we want to continue to support you and help to see what you're doing just multiply over and over. And, uh, you know, it's also interesting to know, understand what the cost is for someone to come to faith. So we, we, you hear us using the language like Jewish believer in Jesus. Why, why are you saying that? Well, for, for many Jewish people to believe in Jesus is worse than being a Nazi because you've killed the soul of a Jewish person. You can believe in anything you want to believe, but if you believe in Jesus, that, that's the worst thing. You're a traitor. You're no longer a Jew. You've converted away. And the reason we use that language of a Jewish believer in Jesus or a Messianic Jew is because for a Jewish person who follows the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to follow Jesus, they don't leave the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to serve another God. It's actually the fulfillment of their faith. It's a completion of their faith. It's a, the most Jewish thing you could do is to believe in the Messiah. Um, and so that's what we're wanting to emphasize. And I'll just give one story out of um, an Orthodox Jewish community. Maybe you can share one Christian Arab story as well. Um, there's a girl that we know. Her name is Miriam. She grew up in one of the strictest 
ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities in, in the world, in Jerusalem. And her family, you know, very, very legalistic, lots of siblings, and uh, just had a very, loved God, but really feared God and, and believed I had, to, I had to do all these things in order to earn God's love. At 16 years old, she finds out that she's pregnant, and she shares it with her family, and the family finds out the father's not Jewish, so they say, you, you need to abort the baby. It's not even worth this child living. The father's not Jewish. She goes to a crisis pregnancy center, uh, an unbe unbelieving crisis pregnancy center, and they say the same thing. You know, you're, the father's not Jewish. Abort the baby. So finally she finds one of our local partners, uh, the National Pro-Life Ministry in Israel, that just loves the baby and the mother and cared for her and provided all of her needs for the first few years of her son's life. They saved the baby. She started coming to some of the uh, courses and classes they offered as a community. She learns about this God of love and mercy. The God she grew up knowing, she just missed this entire aspect of him. And it was so clear when she looked at the face of Yeshua and what he's like. She ended up giving her life to the Lord. She married the father of her, her, her uh, baby. They now have another twin. So there's three, three children. And they serve in our local congregation. And God's totally transformed their life and their family. But, but the cost is huge. Her parents live a 10-minute walk away from her, and they won't even visit her or the children. So you see the, the, the cost, the sacrifice, it's not as simple as I'm going to raise my hand and say a prayer. Uh, there, there's a cost. There's a price, and, it, and it's serious and significant. Another story, we have the privilege of working with um, a congregation in Nazareth. And Nazareth is a pretty uh, strong Arab community that's there, Christian Arab community mainly. And so at Christmas last year, they wanted to do, you know, the um, creating baskets to give to, to those in need. And he really had it on his heart to reach out to the Jewish community that was surrounding Nazareth. So they're creating these baskets, and he went, you know, door to door, and he knocks on this this woman's door, and he and he hands her this basket and say, "We just want to bless you in this season." And she says, "Why are you, as an Arab person, coming to my doorstep? We're supposed to be enemies." And he looks at her and he said, "But I believe in your Messiah. So through your Messiah, we could be friends." And she said, "Well." Who are, you, who are you talking about? She goes, he said, wait, you haven't heard that the Messiah has come? Jesus is your Messiah, and I believe in Jesus. Everything I do is for Jesus. And he was able to share with her, and over time, after multiple conversations and a relationship that they were able to build in a way that she never thought could be possible, she accepted Jesus as her Savior as well. So it's just a beautiful story, you know, that we get to, to hear about. Yep. Now, I want to jump in on that, something you, you kind of referenced a little bit. And even we were talking about some of the stories, because we're live streaming, we can't necessarily share some of what's happening. There's definitely a cost that is paid. You guys pay a, pay a price. People who follow Jesus pay a price. And I think here in Canada, you know, in America, we're quite used to, you know, there's not a huge price you pay, but some things are changing in some ways. And there is more challenges for standing for faith, standing for the Word of God. Uh, just what's it been like for you guys paying the cost? And what are some lessons? Because you're both from here, North America, but you're there. What are some lessons you'd say all of us can learn, even from our brothers and sisters in Christ who are paying this cost to stand for Jesus? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because Israel is we're a democracy. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Um, but again, like I said, the idea of a Jewish person coming to faith in Jesus. The idea of someone sharing the gospel is so hated and despised. Maybe that's a, 
uh, not, not a picture, I don't want to prophesy that in any way, but it's a picture of how you can have a country that has freedom of religion, and yet still the idea of following Jesus is very much hated and despised and looked down upon. In Israel, it's legal to evangelize to someone. The only restriction is you can't witness to a minor, uh, and you can't w- do it through bribery. So you can't offer something and say, come, come to faith because I gave you something. So, so that's our restrictions. But uh, we have s- several uh, congregations that when people find out they're believers, they're kicked out of their building. They're uh, forced not to buy property. Uh, we have one congregation, they bought a property, but it's t- for seven years they've had a fight for the rights to even meet in that space. The, the municipal government won't give them the, the, the permit, the residency permit for them to actually meet there because they have all these ultra-Orthodox Jewish protesters that are coming against them. So we, we have a, a hatred and despising of, uh, of Jesus and who he is. Maybe I'll just say this one thing. You know, in, in Israel, well, we know Jesus' Hebrew name is what? What's Jesus' Hebrew name? Yeshua. Does anyone know what Yeshua means? Salvation. salvation. Very good. Uh, and so Jesus, Yeshua means salvation. Now, if you go on the street in Israel and you say Yeshua, they'll respond and they'll call him Yeshu. They, they drop the last letter. So you think, well, that's innocent enough. Well, Yeshu in Hebrew is actually an acronym for a curse. It means may his name be blotted out and cease to be remembered. It's a curse we say about people like Hitler. Like after you say Hitler's name, you say may his name be blotted out and cease to be remembered. So people don't realize they're saying that, but they've been instructed by the rabbis, call him Yeshu. So not only are they saying a curse without knowing they're saying a curse, but they're also masking the identity of his name, that his name is salvation. So uh, about, the, the, about discrimination and persecution. Discrimin- okay. we, we had a recent uh, right. incident right. that, that it came up. Thank you. Yeah, no, even for us personally, we were just recently wanting to buy a house. And, you know, when the, when the people we were going to buy a house from, they found out that we believe in Jesus. They said, we don't want to sell the house to you because we don't want to bring you people into our neighborhood. I mean, it was just that kind of a mentality. And, you know, thank God there was breakthrough and they allowed us to buy the house which is a miracle. But I mean, there are these people who just are so against us. I mean, if the government found out that we believe in Jesus before we immigrated, they would not allow us to immigrate. So you can believe whatever you want to believe, but if you believe in Jesus, they believe that you have forfeited your right to be Jewish and that you no longer have a right to be a citizen of Israel. So there are a lot of my friends who have not been able to be given citizenship just because of their faith. And I know it's not like being killed for the sake of the gospel, but there's still an aspect of, of just the sacrifice that you make in your life. And, you know, even we had a national worship event a few weeks ago, just for our own community, coming together, young people leading worship, just to worship the Lord together. And there were protests from the Orthodox. It's a very, very small group from the ultra-Orthodox who came in to protest against, they were blocking the doors in the entire building, and literally, like, the police couldn't handle it. They had to call in the SWAT team to protect us from these people who are just, they hate us so much that they're going to do anything they can to create this reality that, you know, what we are doing is wrong, but it's just making it so much more emotionally hard to continue to move forward. But that's why, you know, for us believing in Jesus, it's, it's every single day you live your life on purpose. It is a matter of we choose that every day because every day we know it matters. No, that's good. And, and I mean, someone asked, how do you guys, like, how do you stay strong in that? How do you stay faithful in that? What are, what are some things you guys have learned about how to just keep plowing forward with what God's told you to do? Yeah. You know, when it comes to persecution, it's interesting. Jesus told the disciples, 
you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But if you look at the early church, as amazing as the early church was, they kind of stayed in Jerusalem. It wasn't until they experienced persecution that they prayed for boldness and that they left Jerusalem and started going to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So there was something about persecution that propelled them to action. I don't want to, again, I'm not encouraging this. It's not comfortable. But at the same time, there's something about the persecution. They said, Lord, grant to your servants boldness. And so we felt in this season uh, that step of faith of being a little bit more bold. Even most recently, we were interview- I was interviewed and quoted on one of the top newspaper articles in Israel and very, very openly got to share our faith, got to share the gospel. And you kind of like, you, you don't know what to feel when you see it on the news because you know there's going to be repercussions. You don't know how or what. But again, praying for that boldness and using that as an opportunity to actually uh, step forth into new areas, new territories, new domains has been something that's been really a challenge for us. Yeah, it, that was the day he called me up and he said, I just want to give you a heads up. I just got interviewed and I was very honest. And I said, what does that mean? <laughs> but, it, you know, the, the newspaper article came out and it was actually, it, it's important. It's important for us. And I think, you know, at the stage of where we're at in life, you know, I've just said, I am Jewish and I believe in Jesus. And if you have a problem with that, get over it. <laughs> I think it's just one of the things that, you know, in our context, in our you know, side of the world, it's just people really, they are so bothered by it. But for me, I'm like, this is who I am. And I'm going to be strong in who I am. I'm going to be faithful in who I am because I know that the Lord is going to carry me through. And, you know, sometimes we're going to be challenged with that. Sometimes it's going to push every single one of our buttons. But we know at the end of the day that it's worth it. And, and I would just say this, you know, when we were talking to these guys we wanted to buy the house from, they said, we checked with all four of our sons. Are you okay with us selling to Messianic Jews? Because we needed their permission. And what, what was so surprising and yet so encouraging is as they called their sons, their sons came back to them and said, Abba, you know, Dad, Mom, you're crazy not to sell to these people. We have friends that are Messianic Jews. We have friends from the army. We have friends that, from school. And so if we can destigmatize what it means to be Jewish and to believe in Jesus and actually say there, Jesus, Yeshua, is a legitimate option as Messiah, then that opens up a door for more people to come to know him, to read the New Testament, to understand who he is and what he's like. When they don't see Jesus as a, a Catholic man born in the Vatican, but they see him as as a Jew, born in Bethlehem, lived a Jewish life, fully fulfilled the law of God, they, they see, wow, he's someone like us. He gets us. They learned, so let me just add one thing. The guy that had the quote, um, I'm going to give the quote, you tell him who it was. But they were saying that uh, basically it was really important for a Jewish person to hear the gospel first from a non-Jewish person because, you know, it's just something that how would you love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know, it kind of creates this curiosity from them. But the next person that they really would be great for them to hear the gospel from is a Jewish person because then they are like them and they can say that, okay, this is acceptable for me to accept the Lord. Who was it? That? Robert Murray McShane, yeah, Scottish theologian. Someone important. <laughs> one, one, more, one more major question, because this has been great, but we do have to start to wind things down. One of the things I love about Firm is you guys do such a great job. I really encourage you, like, we'll share the, the resources and so on, like, check out their website, check out their YouTube channel. They're using social media and videos in amazing ways. But it just gives us, kind of like you said, the gentleman said to you on the bus, where so much of us, there's so much 
that we don't understand or we read the Bible and we don't realize how significant certain things are because we don't realize where it came from. Maybe can you just share one or two? I mean, share the same thing, the first service, the, the Bethlehem thing. That was great. But just share maybe a couple just little tidbits of things that as you come to understand more how it opens the Bible for you. Yeah, you know, I, I really think it, it, we don't start by loving Israel. We start realizing, man, Israel and the Jewish people, they, they gave us all the spiritual truth that we've received, the word of God, and, 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 and so much understanding. And sometimes, you know, I think as Christians, we come in and we start reading in the New Testament, and it's kind of like coming into a movie halfway through. I mean, how many of you have ever come into a movie halfway through? Or, God forbid, even worse, five minutes late into the movie theater. Anyone know that? I can't stand coming to the movie five minutes late because the most frustrating part is that you, you do figure out the same ending. You, you know how the story ends. But if you come in five minutes later, you come in halfway through, you'll never understand why the story ends the way it ended or what the motivations of the characters were, the, the subplots. You won't understand all the references. And so I think we need to understand our Old Testament scriptures, what began with a man named Abraham, and see how our faith comes back to that. And so, uh, you know, I was sharing in the first service, there's things that maybe we miss. Like Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem in Hebrew is Beit Lechem, house of bread. How cool that the bread of life came down from heaven to the house of bread, where he gives, offers the bread of life to all the world. Also, in Bethlehem, the shepherd's fields, uh, these, these shepherds weren't just regular shepherds. They were Levitical priestly shepherds. In fact, the, the, the shepherds' fields around Bethlehem were where they raised a very special type of sheep, the Passover offering of sheep. Now, the Passover sheep had to be uh, the lambs. They had to be without spot or blemish. So these, these, these lambs could not just wander wherever they wanted to go. They had to be very, very carefully inspected to make sure there was no spot, no blemish. And this is the very place where Jesus was born, the spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, and he's our Passover lamb. But again, if we don't see that, we, we, we miss some of the context and the culture. We'd, we'd read about the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, well, Gethsemane in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for Gethsemane is gat shmanim, which means olive press. Well, what happens in an olive press? We look at ancient Jewish culture. Well, the olives are, are, are gathered, they're harvested, they're put into a vat, and they're, they're squeezed, and pressure is applied, and there's pressure and heat and pressure and heat. And typically, there's three pressings. The first pressing, they press and you get the extra virgin olive oil. This was the high priestly oil that they used in the temp temple. Then they pressed again. They squeezed with increasing, increasing pressure and they got the second uh, uh, batch of oil, which was used for, kind of in the household for regular day-to-day -day, uh, use. And then they, they, they pressed and they squeezed again and they got the, the final drops of oil out of the olives. And this was, uh, you know, the, the least pure pressing, but that was used in the lamps, uh, the little olive, uh, olive oil lamps. Well, how interesting that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says the Father crushed him, pressed him, and he went how many times to pray? Three times. And each time with increasing pressure, increasing uh, uh, weight of the world on his shoulders to the point where he's sweating blood. And it's this picture that we see that if we don't have the Jewish context in the history, we're missing that picture. Isn't that I good? I gave you an extra one for the second service. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a good ad. Vanessa, anything else you want to add to that one? You got that? So, yeah. That is really good. And what I encourage you is, again, they're, they're producing, like through their ministry, all types of resources and things that share. You'll follow them on social media. They have, they're doing some really cool, innovative stuff, which I love, which is awesome. So I guess which leads to that final kind of 
thought from you guys. I know, Vanessa, there's something I was going to get you to share right at the end. But just before that, so people are listening today. They're interested. Uh, I mean, we're going to be connecting more as a church with Firm and with these guys. But how can people connect more? How can they connect more, learn more, become partners if they want to become partners? How could, yeah, how can people get connected? Yeah, I, I, want, to, I want to start by just talking about the power of prayer for a moment. You know, when I went on this journey, you heard my story. I didn't think Israel was on my radar. Uh, and God really led me to a passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 9, the first five verses, uh, that really challenged me. I mean, we read in Romans chapter 8, we're more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. All things work together for those who love and we're adopted as sons and daughters. And then Paul gets to Romans chapter 9, and he says this strange statement. He says, I have this great sorrow. What do you mean, Paul? He says, I, I have this unceasing anguish, this pain in my heart that does not go away day and night. You're like, Paul, you just said all these amazing truths. What are you talking about? He says, I could wish I was cut off from Christ. What do you mean, Paul? You just said that nothing could separate us from the love of Christ. What would, it, what would it take for you to sacrifice your own salvation? How much would you have to love something or someone to be willing to forsake your own salvation? And yet that's where the Apostle Paul was at. I could wish that I was cut off from Christ. Why? For the sake of my Jewish brothers and sisters. To them belong the adoption and the covenants and the worship and the glory. And from their race, according to the flesh, came the Messiah who is Lord over all. Paul says, I have this anguish and the sorrow. And I just remember as a young man reading this chapter and saying, God, there, I don't feel any of this. Unceasing anguish. I don't even have a, a temporary anguish. Great sorrow. I don't even have any sorrow. I have none of these emotions. God, if, if, this is, if this is true, there must be something wrong in my heart, not wrong in your word. Would you change my heart? And I started a process. I just started praying, God, would you give me your heart? Would you give me your heart? Would I, look, can I love the things you love? Like if this, if this was on Paul's heart, if this was on Jesus' heart, it might, help it to be on my heart. And so we wanted to create a resource to make that easy. We have a 21-day prayer guide uh, available on our website just to help pray through God. Show me what Paul saw. Give me that same heart and that same love for your people. That's the, that's the first way I would start, is to, is to pray. Yeah, so to pray and then also to learn. We have a value at Firm where we are intentional about growth in every area of our life. And so for all of us, and we want to encourage you, start learning, start digging in, diving in. And so we've created some resources for you as well for different areas of Scripture that will really help to bring revelation of what God is doing and why He's doing it and how the threads of the story all tie together. And so you can check that out on our, on our uh, website as well. We've got YouTube. Twitter, Instagram, the TikTok. new one, Threads, Threads. <laughs> I'm not a social media person, so he always laughs at me. He's like, you got to get it together, Vanessa. And a, lot of, a lot of things I was sharing, the little Bible teachings and stuff you can find on our YouTube. On our, so follow us and happy to share more resources like that. And, and the final thing is uh, we wanted to make it easy for people to partner with Israel in a gospel-centered way. And here's how we do partnership. We uh, feel like God put on our heart that when we raise funds, we raise it through something called the Firm Foundation. And 100, 100% of what's given to the Firm Foundation goes out to local ministry projects, reaching people with the love of Jesus. It doesn't pay our salaries, our budgets, our programs, our rent. It doesn't, it doesn't pay any of our operations. We raise that from a, a private group of really generous individuals. But we wanted to make it easy for people to give and know 100% of your dollar is going, and you get the report of where that money is going. You see the impact of the lives that are transformed. And so we have a way to give to the Firm Foundation 
foundation, and we also have a, a community. Maybe you want to talk about the tribe. Yeah, so we have a, a community of monthly donors called the tribe, and it is a community of, of people around the world who we believe, could be, and, and this is a community because we believe that you are a part of the story of Israel. We believe that it's not just people who live there or not just people who are Jewish, but every believer around the world is a part of the God story. And so it's inviting you guys to be a part and to, to hear the stories and the impact that you would have every single month to hear about how the gospel is being spread. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Isn't that good? Can we just give these guys a hand? Isn't that been So, as I said, we're going to be connecting more in some strategic ways with them, but I want to encourage you to pray about if God would put on your heart to, uh, to get connected in any way with what's happening. Uh, and just end up, but Vanessa, just the last thing I wanted to, it's a, it's a different topic, but just during worship, you felt like the Lord had put something in your heart that kind of connected with Pastor Samuel said. So maybe you just want to share that. Yes. And then we're going to get you guys to pray over us before we dismiss. And I realize it does tie in because, you know, we're taught in Jewish thought to remember. And so when, when their pastor came up uh, during worship and talked about, just remember one thing. Um, you know, it's, it's so impactful, and I share this at the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus did 80% of his ministry up in the Galilee region, and it was one person who was healed after another, and one miracle after another, and I just think it is so important to remember. I mean, it is ingrained in me as someone who is Jewish. Remember this day and keep it holy. Remember when the Lord led you, led the, the Jewish people out of Egypt. Remember this. Remember, remember, remember. It's always ingrained in me to remember. And I firmly believe that remembering is what gives us hope for the future. I know that remembering the, the moments when God came in where there was no hope, remembering when God came in and created a miracle, remembering when God provided when I didn't think there was a way, it's remembering those moments that actually gives me the hope because as we know, God is alive today. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is the one who makes it happen where there is no way. We believe in God. We believe in the, in the God of the impossible. And I know that he can move mountains in our lives. And so coming from a country that was born in a day, coming from a country that should not exist today, Coming from a family, I shouldn't be alive. My husband shouldn't be alive. My kids are miracles. We are all walking miracles and have been through it. My son had a stroke at birth. Our other son had heart problems in the womb. I mean, there's one thing after another. And every single time there's a trial that comes, I have to remember. And I ask the people around me to share the stories of the impact of the moments where God showed up and did a miracle in their lives. So it encourages my heart because then my perspective, the hope that I have in the Lord, I know that he is going to do it again. He's done it before and he'll do it again. And I'm telling you, coming from a family of miracles, from a country of miracles, I want to just impart that hope inside of each one of you that he will show up in your life time and time again, even when you don't know and even when you can't see far between what's in front of you. But he's with you, he's alive in you, and he will bring the breakthrough. Amen. Can we pray? Abba, we just... Uh... We acknowledge who you are, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of wonders, working miracles, faithful God, a God of covenant who continues to 
pour out your love on generation after generation. God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. We thank you for Toronto City Church. We thank you for Pastor Brendan and Pastor Sharon. And God, what you're doing here in their midst. And God, I ask that today, if there's a breakthrough that's needed, if there's a miracle that's needed, God, there's faith in this room today. Would you break through? You are the God of the impossible, God. The God of the impossible. Nothing is too great for you. You said all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And so, God, we just remember today your faithfulness. Faithful through the ages. Faithful through generations. Faithful to each of us. And we remember, we, we remind ourselves today of who you are and your nature. And God, even when the circumstances look impossible, even when the, the obstacles look insurmountable, even when the mountains and the giants in the land seem so daunting, God, we remember who you are. We forsake the wisdom of this world to adopt the wisdom of our God. And we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, we ask for, I ask you to encourage hearts and homes and families today. God, areas of breakthrough, provision, healing, obstacles that have just reared their ugly head time and time again. We ask that you would make a way where there seems to be no way in Yeshua's name. And I want to just pray a blessing over uh, each one in this room right now. This is a, I'll pray it in Hebrew. It's a blessing that was given to the people of Israel, but... I'll pray in Hebrew first and then English. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious towards you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his shalom. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Can we give these guys a hand again? So thankful for them. So I want to encourage you in, in, in three things. Number one, I want to encourage you, get on board, learn more about FIRM. There's just so much to learn and so many things you can connect with. Secondly, I want to encourage you today, so consider sowing into them. Now we said, as they mentioned to you, you know, all the money sown to FIRM goes into those ministries. What I felt in my heart was today I want the offering to go to them because they have people who support to them. So we're going to take an offering just to bless them and support them. If you'd like to give to some of the firm things as well, you can totally feel free to do that. There's all kinds of ways to do that. But we do want to just so you can go through debit, credit, you can go online. Let's just bless them today. Let's just let them know, you know, even in that way that we love them. they got a church in Toronto that just loves them and appreciates them. And let's just, can we stretch our hands forward and pray for them? And I should ask my wife if she can join me and just pray as well. Father, we thank you so much for Michael, for Vanessa, for their family, for Firm, Father. Lord, we thank you for what they've come today and just sown into us and invested in us, encouraged us. And we pray blessing over them in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you, God, for this being a season of increase, this being a season of open doors. And even though there's adversaries, many adversaries there's open doors that you're giving and father thank you even as they've you know had more opportunities to share they've shared about being bold being on the front page of the newspaper that you are opening up even more doors in israel but also around the world god, world god for them to share and them to minister and them to encourage i pray that today we will be challenged and encouraged each one of us by what they've shared with us and that it'll have lasting fruit in our lives in jesus name Come on, let's just stretch our hands again. Jesus, that covers this family. Father, we just speak even over their children and extended family. Father, that this would be one of the most abundant seasons for their household. 
Father, we ask that, Lord, where there may be need, that, God, you would meet every single one of their needs. Father, we thank you from the city of, of birth, Father, for, for, you know, half of the union here in America. Father, we bless them in this season to go back to Israel, Father, and to release the purposes of God, the kingdom of God into the land. Father, we ask, God, that you would, you would cover them with a fresh anointing and fresh grace, Father, for the race that they are running. So, Father, we just declare over them from Toronto City Church that they are family, not only friends, they are family. And we pray for our family once again that this would be an abundant season of harvest over their lives and in their, their family unit. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everyone who agreed today said, amen, amen. Well, if we all want to stand to our feet as we get ready to close, we will let you guys sneak off. We love these. They actually would hang around and kind of talk with everyone, but they've got another, they're, they're not here in Toronto for very long, so there's something else they're going to run off to. So they're not trying, they kind of love to hang out, but we are going to be connecting with them in the future. And if you want more information. So we just want to bless you guys. Parents, remember for our students who got the Scarborough Bluffs trip this coming Friday. Let's keep praying into this conference that we have coming up. Let's just keep praying to what God's doing this season. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, God bless you guys. We love you. Thank you for being here today. Again, guests, if you want to go to that connect table, just we want to be able to greet you properly. And thank you for being here today. Have a wonderful Sunday. Have a wonderful week. God bless. Remember how our God is never